but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here for the 22nd of November. I'm CJ Baumgartner, and we're going to break down all that there is to talk about here in Minnesota Sports for today and let's start off with the Minnesota Vikings the talk of the town when you beat your rivals you get some praise here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast and you get a lot of praise today cough cough PJ Fleck beat Wisconsin for the love of God anyway uh so here we go the Vikings do their part in the border battle they beat the Packers and they beat them by a score of 34 to 31 after a Greg Joseph game-winning field goal and it's time as we do after every Vikings game we do a stock up stock down talking about our feelings on the last game stock up pretty easy one we're going to keep it simple as the Vikings have been doing it's been leading to two wins in a row that is stock up Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson if you throw it to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen crazy enough Good things happen when you feed the ball to your top three guys in Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, but we're talking about in the receiving game. They try to feed it to Cook a little too much, and they exclude the other two, which is Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. When you throw to these guys, good things happen. The Vikings uh, the Vikings' own team released a stat yesterday, and um, it was really telling. They put it out on Twitter, and as it's loading, it talks about the th- – the impact that Thielen and Jefferson and uh, those two guys have on their offense. And here we go. It says uh, offensive stats against the Packers. Adam Thielen had eight catches for 82 yards and a tutty. Kirk Cousins, of course, had 341 yards, three touchdowns with a quarterback rating of 128.4. And Dalvin Cook had 25 touches, 115 yards and one touchdown. And in all this, So we talked about their main guys. But Adam Thielen, eight catches, 82 yards, one touchdown. Averaged over 10 yards a catch. Justin Jefferson, the man who needs no introduction, had one of his best games, if not his best game as a pro. Not stat-wise. I think he's had better games yardage-wise or maybe touchdown-wise. But that was probably the best game of his career because this might have been the first game where Justin Jefferson, the most meaningful game, I should say, where Justin Jefferson just took over that game. Now, he did that against Tennessee last year where he just kind of took over the game. The Vikings ended up losing. But this game, Justin Jefferson just took it over. And he's the reason they won that game. Adam Thielen had good catches. Dalvin Cook had good plays. So did Kirk Cousins. But, man, they won that game because of Justin Jefferson. He had eight receptions for 169 yards, averaged 20 yards per reception, 21 yards per reception, two touchdowns, and yards per target of 17 yards. So they are getting to Justin Jefferson. And this is another thing. We talk about all the time the Vikings need to be more aggressive, and I've said it on the podcast, the Vikings need to be more aggressive. Crazy that when you do that, you win games. They did it against... Uh, I was about to call him San Diego. They did it against the Chargers last week. They won. 
And it's not just always, you know, they do it against Green Bay, they won. And it's not always just throwing it deep, like sending Jefferson right down the seam or the sideline and just throwing it up and letting him catch it. Although that's worked, as we saw yesterday. But it's also the very first catch Justin Jefferson had. He just ran across the field, found a soft spot in the zone in a medium yardage pass. Past the first down marker, but you're not trying to flip the field completely. It was only about probably a 15 to 20 yard catch when Jefferson grabbed it, and Jefferson was able to then make a move in open field and get a lot of yards. And that's what this team needs. This team doesn't need to go four verts on Madden. This team just needs to, and Greg Olson pointed out, have some combinations with levels and not just always have to dink and dunk in that first level and go to you know, to Conklin's and the Hams and the Dalvin Cooks on the dump-offs or even the bubble screens with Thielen and Jefferson. No. Stretch the field. Do the, do the, uh, do the levels concept. Have Jefferson run a deep post. Have Thielen run a medium post. Have Conklin run an out. And just see what they're going to give you on the play. And sometimes Justin Jefferson's going to have a guy on him. Sometimes Thielen's going to have to have the concentration and make a play like he did on that catch down the sideline in the fourth quarter on the final drive. And you know what? This team is capable of doing it. When you throw the ball to Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson a lot, when you make a specific attempt to give them the football, good things happen. I don't think I need to explain it any further than that. Stock down now. Stock down is the Viking centers. So Garrett Bradbury, I said it on Friday. I, I called it. Mike Zimmer said, you know, oh, we have to, we, we're going to name a starter on game day because we got to keep it a secret because all oh, these other teams, they're, uh, they, they got their game plan set. They're like, oh, who are we going to face? Are we going to face Garrett Bradbury or Mason Cole? It's also tough. Uh, Matt LaFleur probably is like whoever plays. Kenny Clark's really good. We're not worried about it. Mike Zimmer just didn't want to publicly come out and say that they benched Garrett Bradbury. So they were going to say that, oh, he's coming out of the COVID list and he's got to heal up and he's got to do it. He straight up benched Garrett Bradbury. Bradbury now is going to go back in the starting lineup by default. Mason Cole had an awful game. Now, remember, I said Mason Cole should be given another chance to start. Not just because he was playing well in the last couple of games, but because, and I said at the time last week, you can go back on the podcast and listen. I'm not saying he's the answer. Mason Cole is definitely not the answer. There's a reason why he didn't play all year. There's a reason why he didn't sniff any sort of playing time. But he needed more time as well to prove, is he just a guy playing a good couple games or is he a guy the Vikings can actually rely on? You need to test that. And that way, you know, you have this game, he flops. Now, luckily, you still win. But Mason Cole flops. And now you can go back to Garrett Bradbury and just finish out the year with that former first-round pick. But either way, the Vikings are going to need a new center this uh, next season. Kenny Clark, man, I, I don't – I know Kenny Clark is good. I know he's a good nose tackle. But, man, we talk about Garrett Bradbury getting blown up sometimes. There were plays where Kenny Clark pushed Mason Cole into Kirk Cousins before he could even hand the ball off or just as he was about to hand the ball off. Kirk Cousins could literally not get the ball out fast enough to stop from Kenny Clark uh, coming in on some of these plays. There was a play where, uh, I can't remember if it was Kenny Clark, maybe I think it was Devondre Campbell, shout out to the Golden Gophers, uh, Devondre Campbell coming in on a blitz. It was either in the A gap or the B gap, one of those two kind of coming in on the interior pressure. And he came in and he was just wasn't blocked. He wasn't blocked at all. Like 
Mason Cole got on a guy, and Ezra Cleveland got on a guy, and Derrissaw got on a guy. And there was just one guy running free, which means your protection was completely messed up. And that's either on the quarterback in Cousins, which it could be, or it's on the center, who is supposed to be in charge of making sure that the offensive linemen correctly know who is blocking what and kind of points out, like, you know, the middle linebacker. Like, 52's the mic, 52's the mic, and that's who you base all the blocking after. And they didn't, they didn't figure it out on that one. So that's either on Kirk Cousins or... It was on the center, Mason Cole, who had a, a terrible game, and he was a guy who was projecting upward and is now going to be back down. Garrett, maybe it's maybe it is a stock up for Garrett Bradbury in a sense because he got his job back and he didn't have to do anything. But the Vikings centers, man, it's been an issue all year. And if you're a team that wants to stop the Vikings, just send interior pressure. You don't come off the edge. The Vikings seem like they have it taken care of with Derrissaw and with Brian O'Neill. So it's up the middle. You blitz him up the middle. You find creative ways to get up the middle. And there's a good chance he'll speed up the internal clock of Kirk Cousins. And it doesn't take much to get that thing uh, to get that thing moving and grooving. So there's that. Let's also take a look here. Stock up. Sheldon Richardson, by the way, having a pretty good game. He's flying all around the field. He was plugging up holes as a defensive tackle on that reserve role. He was also moved into edge rusher a couple times because the Vikings have no idea how to replace Daniel Hunter or even on the other side of the line. They are just scrambling for answers on the defensive end. But Sheldon Richardson did a nice nice job in his place over the weekend, and Sheldon Richardson, stock up, good play, my dude. He is a stock up for this week. Somebody who's had a very disappointing season. Uh, not so much that he's been just awful, but just that he hasn't been productive. Like you haven't. This is the first time we've really talked about him all year, and Sheldon Richardson, even when he played in Minnesota last in 2018 was seen as a very good player and a guy the Vikings should have extended. He went to Cleveland, had a you know a couple decent years, but not great, and ended up back here. And there was a reason, there was a reason why Cleveland cut him. I think let's just say that, and that kind of shows why he hasn't popped up this much. But a good week for Sheldon Richardson overall. All right. Lastly, here we have down Xavier Woods, who probably played his worst game as a Viking so far. Of course, gave up the go-ahead touchdown because Marcus Marquez Valdez-Scantling got in front of him. Couldn't chase him down down the field. I know Scantling can run, but and, and of course, Rodgers can throw a good ball down the field. But Xavier Woods was getting picked on all game, and he wasn't having a good game. All season long, he's been decent. He's had, you know, not great. He hasn't been all the otherworldly, but he's been good enough. He has a 76.8 PFF grade, though, so... He's got that in his direction. He hasn't had a terrible season. He's not on the level of Richardson, but he's just been a guy, I think, so far this season. And it's fine that we really, this is the first time we've really had to look at him and go, geez, man, what were you doing out there? But he got picked apart by a great uh, offense in Rodgers. And I don't mean great. Statistically, they're not that great this year, but just any offense that is Aaron Rodgers, you know you're going to get uh, you know you're going to get a run for your money, and you're going to get picked on, and there's going to be some throws that you just can't defend against. And what do you do? Xavier Rhodes got the short end of the stick. He had a terrible game. Uh, probably his worst game. It is his worst game as a Viking this week. When you look at uh, when you look at Xavier Woods, uh, he just he just didn't have a good game. Uh, just getting thrown at a lot um, and. It's something that, again, Xavier Woods has been good for the Vikings. I don't know if they bring him back. 
I think Xavier Woods kind of like Patrick Peterson might have just kind of came here in a one year play under Zimmer and hope that things work out. His PFF grade after that uh, after the the game yesterday, by the way. So keep in mind, yesterday he had a 76.8 PFF grade before the game. After this game, it went down a whole 10 points. He now is at a 67.8. So he did not have a uh, did not have a great game over the weekend. Did Xavier Woods and when you look just in the more, uh, you know, not even in the, uh, not even in the actual, not even in the actual PFF stats, but when you just look in the raw statistics, the dry stats, the box score stats, whatever uh, way you want to look that, uh, whatever way you want to look that up, it still hasn't been great for Xavier Woods. So if you look on his Pro Football Reference page, um, as that pulls up here, Xavier Woods. In this game, he had five tackles, you know, whatever. Um, he had one pass defense. So his box score numbers don't look particularly awful. He played in 43% of the defensive snaps for the Vikings. But when you look at uh, when you look at his stats and you look at um, his uh, passes defensed uh, this season, he's at 70. He got one of them last week. I'm trying to... See if they pull up his stance here for the game. They might more of have his uh, cumulative, cumulative statistics here, but the point remains the same: is that he just didn't have a great, uh, didn't have a great game this weekend. Did Xavier Woods? All right, this has been our stock up, stock down for the week for the Minnesota Vikings. Let's finish up this Vikings talk here. Uh, just talking about to the Vikings offense, figure out how to play under two minutes. I mean. Mike Zimmer, who's been, you know, picked apart for clock management more as, you know, more in the end of the first halves and all that uh, kind of stuff so far this season, has uh, been pretty darn good, uh, was pretty darn good yesterday, I should say. And there was a tweet that I found pretty interesting when it came to uh, when it came to all this stuff with the Vikings and in that two-minute drill and what they were trying to do. As, uh, the tweet pulls up, it's from Kevin Clark, and what it said was, is that uh, Kevin Clark, of course, he's a writer for The Ringer. And this is a very interesting stat. Uh, Cousins has 25 career games with at least 300 passing yards, three and three touchdowns, surpassing Aaron Rodgers for the second most such games by a quarterback in his first 10 seasons in NFL history. Only Dan Marino has had more with 26. So Kirk Cousins... Of course, you know, he's always been known for having the, the high stats. He played a good game. This, he's been playing some good games this year. Probably his best season in terms of the touchdown-to-interception ratio for sure, which has led to kind of some of the people criticizing him for not taking enough shots, whether that's coaching or whether it's on Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has only thrown two interceptions this year. And you want to know why? It's because he hasn't been taking shots. He hasn't been pushing the ball. He's been playing it safe. You know, they, you can't complain about Kirk for checking it down all the time and then also look in Kirk and say, but wow, he's only got two interceptions. He's doing great. It's like, no, there's a little bit of a corollary. Brett Favre, of course, was a gunslinger, push it downfield, do all the stuff, threw a lot of interceptions. Patrick Mahomes, and I can look this up here, even though Patrick Mahomes is having a down year, Patrick Mahomes still threw the interceptions. When you look at uh, Patrick Mahomes' stats this season and how many interceptions he's thrown, it's a decent amount. So when you look at, uh, I mean, heck, yesterday against the Cowboys, he had an interception. They still won the game. He still threw for over 200 and 
50 yards. But according to Pro Football Reference with Patrick Mahomes' statistics this season, he has, does Mahomes, in terms of interceptions total, he has added up here. He's got one, he's got three, he's got four, he's got six, he's got eight, nine, ten. He has 11 interceptions in 11 games. He throws about one per game. And that's this season for Patrick Mahomes, of course. So it's a little bit little bit exaggerated. But I, I still would take Patrick Mahomes. I still would take him in a game more often than not. So sometimes the interceptions are going to come. And we got to remember, if we want Kirk to be more aggressive, we have to know that sometimes the – that doesn't excuse the fumbles, which mostly come from him just not having pocket awareness. But if we're going to talk about the interceptions – you can't want him to push down the field, but also complain that he's throwing too many interceptions. Now, of course, all interceptions are looked at, you know, they need to be looked at in context and look at where was he going, was the throw good, what was the wide receiver doing, what was the defender doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. But Kirk Cousins got away with throwing about three interceptions yesterday. And the one that uh, was dropped, the one where the guy just missed it, and the one that got called back because of a penalty. But you know what? I would rather have... But Kirk played his game yesterday. He played a great game yesterday. I would rather have that than the alternative, which was dink and dunk, and we can't get any offense generated because we're throwing for we're throwing behind the chains on all 13 of our third down opportunities. Sometimes you're going to throw some interceptions, and whether that comes from Kirk Cousins or whether that comes from Mike Zimmer, you can't do that. You got to push the field, and the Vikings have been pushing the field, and it's led to some pretty good results for them this season. And, again, this offense has been playing well. They figured out how to play in two minutes. As I mentioned earlier, the Vikings played really well in that towards the end. They made a couple really good plays. First of all, they uh, they let Marquez Valdez-Scantling just score a touchdown. They let Rodgers score right away, so the Vikings had plenty of time to go down the field and kick that game-winning field goal. That's some galaxy brain 4D chess level moves right there by Mike Zimmer to let his defense get completely torched so uh, Kirk Cousins could go down the field and kick a game-winning field goal. That was just some galaxy brain stuff right there. But in all actuality, the first great move was when they got downfield was Dalvin Cook. When they got downfield, I should say, the Vikings got down, and I believe it was Jefferson had a good catch, and Thielen also had a good one to get him down there too. They got the ball, and... It was on like the 15, 20, or it was on the 25, 30-yard line or so. They were far back. It was an easy, it should be an easy, makeable field goal for Greg Joseph. Mike Zimmer remembered, hey, uh, we tried to play for about this exact same distance in week two, and we got absolutely burned. So you know what we're going to do? We are going to run it with Dalvin just one time. Let's just see what happens. You run it, you get an extra 13, 15 yards or so to make the field goal easier and also take some more time off the clock and make Green Bay have to burn a timeout. And Green Bay didn't burn the timeouts after that. But it was also just smart because on the run, Dalvin just fell down. Dalvin broke some tackles, and you could tell for a second Green Bay just wanted to let him score so you could give Rodgers about a minute of time and two timeouts to try and salvage a game, which would have been more than enough time for Rodgers. And knowing the Vikings' defense, and especially the Vikings' defense in critical points in the game under two minutes, they fold in on themselves like a dying star, or they have the intestinal fortitude of a wet cardboard box. Whatever you want to say, 
they do that. And for them to just hold on to the ball, so Dalvin Cook fell down, so they couldn't just score. Packers had two timeouts. Zimmer just took a knee because Zimmer knew, hey, uh, they're gonna let they're just gonna let us score. If we try and run this ball, they're gonna let us score. So we're gonna take a knee. We're gonna make you have to burn that timeout no matter what. So even if you somehow get the ball, uh, you have no timeouts. But the Vikings were able to run it all the way down to the final seconds, and despite a timeout by the Packers to try and ice the kicker, Greg Joseph comes through on a chip shot that if you would have missed would have been grounds for firing squad. Like, thrown up on U.S. Bank Stadium and flung out in a catapult or or something. So, the Vite, Greg Joseph gets, congratulations, got the win. Your missed PAT put us in a weird spot. But whatever, a win is a win is a win, and I'm not going to nitpick on the kicking game too much because it does definitely change the way the Vikings look at that game if they were up by one or, I mean, they go for the P. I guess, you know, they, they, maybe they don't go for two, but it's just all, it's a combination of several things, but the Vikings defense played well in the final drive of the game. And they're just a team that's figuring it out and have the Vikings figured out a way, not just have the Vikings figure out a way, not just to win games uh, in the here and now, like just win games against a particular team, but have they found games to beat a specific opponent. And I think they have. I think the Vikings have found a way to just win games. I think they've found a way to actually come out on top against some of these teams. Um, and that's a winning strategy, I should say. One that's not just for a specific week. You're not, well, we match really well against Green Bay's corners. and we match well. No, you actually have a certified way of winning games against any opponent. And it's something I've been saying for months on this podcast. Lean into being an offensive team. You leaned into being an offensive team with good pass-catching weapons and a quarterback that can sling it when you put him in the right spots. And when you've done that against L.A., when you did that against Green Bay, you won the game. And not just, oh, you know, Green Bay, whatever, you snuck by him. You came out, you smashed L.A. in the mouth. You won. When you play Green Bay, you always it's always just, can we hang on against Aaron Rodgers? There is no Vikings drub the Packers kind of thing. I don't know the last time the Vikings have beaten the Packers by more than one score. Maybe uh, maybe 2018, but even then I still think it was pretty close. 2017, of course, Rodgers was hurt. So all these games in the Mike Zimmer era and beyond with the Packers, basically since, since Brett Favre's first season in Minnesota, every single game against Aaron Rodgers has either been the Vikings get plunked or the game gets close. So there's no way that we're the Vikings the ones – up big. And that's the thing. I know people are going to talk about the defense caved in and folded in on themselves. Look, I said on uh, Friday, I said the Vikings defense just needs to slow Rodgers down enough early and the Vikings need to score early enough to keep themselves in the game, build up a lead because you know Rodgers is going to get hot eventually. Don't let him get hot early. Slow him down in the beginning of the game and you jump out early and force him to play from behind, which you know, as much as Tom Brady and all those guys love to play from behind, they really don't. They would much rather play with the lead. Obviously, that's common sense. I'm not saying anything new here. So forcing Rodgers, even though he's a great quarterback, to go on the defensive and have to sling it down the field and can't get comfortable with the running game and can't do all this, it was big. And one last thing I want to say with that and the Vikings uh, finding this blueprint. for Here's how the Vikings have a blueprint for winning games down the stretch. You lean into being that offensive team. The Zimmer defense just needs to play well in spurts. 
the Zimmer defense played well in the first half. They played great in the first half. And they played well enough to keep the Vikings' offense in front early and to slow down Rodgers. So by the time it got to the fourth quarter, the Vikings had a lead, or at least the Vikings were right in the game, and you kind of could feel out the game. It wasn't like a right at the beginning of the game. It's like, oh gosh, oh gosh, we have to score, we have to score. And it's like, we already proved we can score, we already can do all that. So it was a good job on the Vikings for uh, figuring that out in this game. And the Vikings just can keep doing it because you're not going to be playing Aaron Rodgers every week. In fact, you're going to have some pretty favorable quarterback matchups. You know, maybe outside of the Steelers and when outside of the Rams potentially and outside of playing Aaron Rodgers again, you have a better quarterback in every single one of those games. And heck, you know, I'll, I'll, give, them sta- I'll give them the matchup over Stafford just with the way that the Vikings offense is built. I think the Vikings offense is built to be better than the Rams. They just don't treat it like they are. I think Sean McVay could do a lot with this team. Now, Sean McVay, of course, was Kirk Cousins' old offensive coordinator. So I think but I think Sean McVay could do the same stuff that he's doing with the Rams that he could do in Minnesota because you have Jefferson, Thielen, and Dalvin Cook. So you have that. But the Zimmer defense, if they can just play well in spurts, they're not playing super tough offenses. You know, you're playing Jimmy Galapagos this week. Jimmy Garoppolo. You're playing all that kind of stuff. That was intentional for calling Galapagos, by the way. Uh, you know, you can you you have some of these quarterbacks where you can play well. If this defense can play well in some of these spurts, the Vikings offense comes out hitting, you get a lead, and then it doesn't matter if the defense folds in on themselves because as long as the Vikings offense is feeling good in the game and they stay aggressive, which is the, the other important part because they have had leads, but the Vikings haven't gotten aggressive. You can win these games as long as you stay aggressive. You were never truly going to slow down Rodgers, and everybody knows that, but they slowed him down early to hang around, and that's all the Vikings needed. And look, this team needs to just embrace that they are going to be a weird team. Everything is going to get weird at the end, so you need to embrace it, and you need to go, we need to just be aggressive. Things are going to be weird, but you know what's going to help us out in the end more often than not is taking that chance, is pushing the ball downfield is sending that blitz. Zimmer's really aggressive on defense. He just needs to do the same on offense as well. They can be a great team. Tomorrow we're going to talk about uh, how we would look at the Vikings differently if uh, they won some of their earlier games. But this one thing I'm going to finish off the Vikings conversation on. Packer fans had so many excuses for this game. Ref ball. Uh, like to point out the Packers are one of the least penalized teams in the NFL. Uh, the NFL officials do not hate the Green Bay Packers. Also, do you really think the NFL wants the Green Bay Packers to lose? Do you really think that the team that is Aaron Rodgers, one of the people who generates, for better or worse, generates a lot of clicks, a lot of publicity, a lot of this, a lot of that? Do you really think the NFL wants the Packers not to have the one seed or not? Do you think they want the Cardinals to have the one seed? Or do you rather think they have the Packers? I'm serious. Vikings fans have been saying this, Bears fans and Lions fans, all three teams in the NFC North, know that Packer fans have just gotten away on having two Hall of Fame quarterbacks since 1992, and they are so dang spoiled, and they just don't realize. Sometimes you lose, and sometimes, yeah, you get screwed on a call that maybe you thought should have been an interception. Or, hey, here's a thought. How about don't put your helmet right into the face mask of another of another quarterback? I'm not saying it's a dirty hit, but I'm saying it's just not a, it's not a disciplined play. And they got a penalty for it. It took away an interception. So 
Don't sit here and say that it's ref ball. Don't sit here and say it's an injury thing. Because, by the way, the Vikings defense is missing one of the best edge rushers in football. They're also missing their starting D tackle. They're also missing here and there and everywhere. Patrick Peterson's first game back from injury. Harrison Smith first game back from COVID. It's not like the Vikings were a well-oiled machine either. So I find it I find it very laughable that Packer fans also, by the way, uh, when your team is injured, you were still in the game. That still gives you every chance to win. Just because you didn't have Rashawn Gary doesn't give you an excuse to lose that game. So, I don't know. It's just kind of defensive Packer fans, whatever. They're, they're whatever. Packer fans are whatever. They're one of the more delusional fan bases in the NFL. But what do you do? Vikings did it. They got themselves back to 5-5, five and five, the roller coaster of hope and despair. Now says hope this week as the Vikings got to 5-5. Five and five. Still think just with going on the road to L.A., or to uh, San Francisco, rather, you probably lose to them, but you beat the Lions, so you're still 6-6. Six and six. This game coming up against San Francisco, by the way, they're also 5-5. Five and five. They're right in the thick of things in that NFC playoff race. You have the tiebreaker over Carolina. You have the tiebreaker over Seattle. You have the tiebreaker over, you know, all these other teams. It's going to be important for you to get that win over the 49ers because that is going to be important down the stretch in terms of tiebreakers. And if you get to 6-5, and five, you beat the Lions, all of a sudden you're 7-5. and five. Steelers on Thursday night, that's a toss-up. Maybe you go 7-6, and six, but you play the Bears. That's, you know, again, that's in Soldier Field. It's always shaky. But assuming you go 2-2 two and two in your next four games, you're 7-7 seven and seven, going to the final three games, Rams at Packers, Bears. They're in the sixth seed right now. We'll see what happens. Not going to say the Vikings are going to go 12 and 5 or something, but they're going to, they have a chance to make some noise. I don't know if they do it or not, but this team certainly has the talent. We've always known that. It's been, can they execute in those critical spots? All right. Now let's take a look here. We spent a lot of time talking about the Vikings, more time than I thought. And we will take some time here now to talk about the Gophers in this game. And the future Detroit Bowl champs, by the way, are winning again. And winning they should have, by the way, because they were playing just a terrible, terrible, terrible Indiana team that they just smacked in the mouth and whatever. They scored 35 unanswered points. It is what it is. We expected them to beat Indiana, although they've had a couple trap games before. Weirdly enough, all of their trap games have been at home, so I don't know what that is. It's been the curse of uh, curse of Huntington Bank ever since they changed the name. But they are going to now finish the season. They are now going to play Wisconsin, and the table is set. Now they're basically taking themselves out of the uh, they've taken themselves out of the Big Ten West race because of their uh, innate ability to choke away any kind of hope that they wanted to have for their season. But they still have a chance to make some noise. Now, there's still a chance maybe they get into like a Citrus Bowl. Maybe there's still a chance that they sneak into some of those uh, bowl games on in that uh, in that side of things. But for now, Minnesota currently sits at third place in the Big Ten West standings uh, over Purdue. And they are below Iowa and Wisconsin. And it's kind of a catch-22 because if the Gophers lose... They let Wisconsin go in, and if the Gophers win, they potentially set up a pathway for Iowa to get in because Iowa this week is playing Nebraska. It's no walk in the park, 
but it still is uh still isn't uh too difficult of a task for the Hawkeyes. And the Gophers again wrap up their season at home against Wisconsin. It is at 3 p.m. on Fox. And with the Gophers, I mean, I don't know. PJ Fleck is having that Mike Zimmer issue as well. And the thing is, wins like they, they had over Indiana highlight how much that the poor coaching has been at times from P, not so much from PJ, although it's been there a little bit, but the staff as well. And bad play at skilled positions, including the quarterback. And when your quarterback has played bad, it's trickled down to your wide receivers. And just basically everywhere outside of running back, which has also been depleted, has limited this team and wasted a great offensive line and wasted a great defensive performance as well. And it's just been frustrating to see the team that had so much potential kind of just flop like this because of the lack of areas that we just talked about. But like the Vikings, they have a chance to turn all their fortunes around if they can just beat the team from Wisconsin. If the Gophers can get a win against Wisconsin, one, it's a win at home, so it's always going to uh, feel good. Two, you get the axe back, which is no matter how your season is gone. And P.J. Fleck learned this back in, uh, back in 20, 2019. No matter how bad of a season your team is having, if you can get the axe your team has a lot of momentum going into the next season because you beat a rival. You you know it just makes the team feel better because you beat a rival like Wisconsin. It's going to help out your bowl game, all that kind of stuff. I don't think the Gophers get. I I don't think if the Gophers lose, they probably get a Detroit Bowl or they get the Pinstripe Bowl or something like that. If they win, they probably get a little better one, maybe like a Citrus Bowl. They definitely don't get the Outback Bowl. That probably goes to. Probably goes to either Wisconsin or it goes to whatever Big Ten West team doesn't make the the title game, or it probably goes to maybe Michigan or something. The East is so stacked; they probably give it to one of those teams more than the others. But what do you do? I still think that the Gophers don't make a New Year's Day bowl game, even if they beat Wisconsin. I think they're more pinstripe bowl, uh, quick lane bowl of Detroit, music music city bowl, kind of in that range. One where, like, the team cares and, like, uh, or I should say fans of the team care and, like, you know, media people care because it's storylines and all that stuff. But one where the players are like, all right, cool, one final game and we're done and all that kind of move on to the next year. So that's – but that's the thing with the Gophers is they had an opportunity to have such a great season. Everything it felt like fell in their favor. Iowa and Wisconsin both knocked themselves out early. They just – they gave you such a wide-open lane. And again, like the Gophers always do, the Gophers for the last five to six years, seven years, eight years, whatever you want to say, whenever they've been good, the path has always been there for them to win the West. They just have to take care of business, and for the life of me, they've just never been able to do it. In a season where it's mattered, they've never been able to both beat Iowa and Wisconsin. When was the last time the Gophers beat both Iowa and Wisconsin in a season? At the earliest, maybe, what, 2004? Early 2000s, maybe? So, again, it's they haven't been able to beat... They've been able to beat uh, Wisconsin one of those times, and they were able to beat Iowa a few times here and there, but, again, they have to figure out a way to beat their rivals to at least get some credibility in the Big Ten West because they can beat Nebraska as much as P.J. Fleck owns Nebraska, and for the most part, they can beat Illinois, and for the most part, they can beat... Purdue, and they can do all this cool stuff with that, beating Northwestern. But if you can't beat Iowa, 
or Wisconsin, your two biggest rivals on the calendar, you're always going to come up short in the Big Ten West, which, by the way, isn't even the hard division to win. There's a reason why Iowa and Wisconsin and Northwestern have all taken turns representing the Big Ten West, because you just kind of have to have a favorable schedule and just win one tough game. And the Gophers, outside of Penn State, have not been able to win tough conference games in the P.J. Fleck era. Now, it's still relatively early when you consider how P.J. Fleck's building his team in the COVID year. Kind of threw a mulligan on what they were building last year. But they got some stuff to figure out. But again, they had a perfect opportunity laid in front of them. And I don't care that you beat Indiana, but go beat Wisconsin. I don't care that you thumped Indiana. You should have thumped Indiana. Now you're playing the Badgers at home. I don't care how you win. Win ugly, just win. Beat Wisconsin, keep the axe in Minnesota, and you know what? Everybody looks on the season a little bit differently. They go, yeah, they blew it. They blew, they should have been here, but but the axe is sitting in the bank, though. The axe is on the U of M campus. The axe is over on this side of the Mississippi or the St. Croix, you know, all on this side of the St. Croix. So it, it's that aspect of it. If you can beat Wisconsin, you turn a lot of the narrative on your season around. By the way, even if they would have lost to Indiana. If they would have been able to beat Iowa and Wisconsin in the same season, even though it didn't mean a lot this year, it would have just showed that they could have done it and given the given fans hope in the future and people who are looking on the outside looking in more faith that they can actually do it. Because up until then, P.J. Fleck has not had a great track record against the Gophers' big rivals, especially in the trophy games. He's only won two of those games. Of course, that coming from beating Wisconsin in 2019 – or in 2018, and beating Penn State in 2019. So there's that with, with because P.J. Fleck has had some Mike Zimmer issues with that as well. Chris Ottman-Bell, again, is the best wide receiver on their team. He's still from that wide receiving core that featured Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. He's just been a no-show, and it feels like they need, and he had a good game last week, but again, it was because you're playing Indiana. But they got to find a concerted effort to get Chris Ottman Bell the ball more because he's a great offensive talent. And especially when you have all your running backs so banged up, you got to find a way to give him the ball. And that's been the issue with Tanner Morgan. You need to figure out what your future is beyond him because time is running out on his uh, tenure. You got to figure out what you have behind Morgan because guys like Chris Ottman Bell, they need to get the ball in their hands. When you have a quarterback that struggles like Morgan has this season, not only is Morgan going to look bad, but he's going to make the offensive skill players look bad because they're not getting the ball, or they're not getting the ball in good spots, able to make good enough catches, and, and all this kind of stuff. Because remember, he was playing with two NFL wide receivers in Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, but he also was able to put the ball in spots to at least help them make a catch. In Case Keenum with the Vikings, with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. He threw a lot of balls that should have got intercepted, but he also threw him 50-50 balls that should have got intercepted, but it also meant that Adam Thielen and Diggs could try and make a play on them because, again, 50-50 ball. The point is that the Gophers have everything in place, and they're like, the, they're like the Wisconsins and the Iowas. They have the great team in place, the great offensive lines, the running back depth, playmakers who can catch, uh, uh, you know, pass-catching playmakers, all of that, a good defense. They just didn't have a quarterback, and they can't put it together. And, it, again, Tanner Morgan had his moments, whether it's Mike Sanford Jr., whether it's him, whether it's defenses have figured him out, Whatever, something has to change, and P.J. Flag needs to look at the reasons why they failed this season, and it was because of poor execution in key moments and inconsistent quarterback play and just straight-up no quarterback play 
at a lot of points in this season. Well, we're out of time today here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll dive into the Timberwolves and the Wild tomorrow as the Timberwolves just destroyed the Memphis Grizzlies over the weekend, and they have a chance to take care of business and keep that winning streak going against the Pelicans tonight. Also, the Wild got a point yesterday in Tampa, the comeback kids in Minnesota. We'll talk about that as well with the Wild tomorrow here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.